Someone told me love would all save us. But how could that be? Look what love gave us. A world full of killing and blood spilling. That world never came. And they say that a hero could save us. And I'm not going to stand here and wait. I'll hold on to the wings of the eagles and watch as we all fly away. Hey there, Tolkieners. I'm Danny J. And I'm Joel. And welcome back to Keep On Tolkien. We are very excited to be back making content with you guys again. That was weird. We came in real weird. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> welcome back, guys. It's the pent up energy. Yeah, it's just it's it's there, and you got to get it out sometimes, you know. Uh, <laughs> so let's get right into it. I feel like. Like let's let's just do it. Yeah, the people want content, and yeah. so here is the content today we're covering. We're gonna deliver. We're delivering you some unsung heroes. Yeah, and if you're stumped by where that excerpt came from, that's actually not from Tolkien. Oh, yeah. That is uh, some Nickelback lyrics from the song "Hero" from the Spider-Man soundtrack. Spider-Man, the Sam Raimi Spider-Man with Tobey Maguire. Yeah, the only circa what two thousand. Two? Oh, two. <laughs> yeah, I remember it was supposed to come out around 9-11, but they had to change they the movie, remember? They had to do remember? some uh, reshoots. Yeah, weird bit of history. So today, we're going to be covering Unsung Heroes, some of uh, KOT's favorite unsung heroes within the Legendarium. Yeah, so what is an unsung hero? Yeah, what do we mean by that? Well, they do super cool or important shit, honestly. But they don't ever get their fair shake, in our opinion. And they typically don't come up when you're talking about Tolkien. They're just kind of one of those yeah, characters you know, that fall by the wayside. Yeah, some of the characters that they don't always come up in the the common conversations. And uh, as I learned, you know, while I was writing this episode, especially lots of heroic shit happens in Tolkien. <laughs> turns <laughs> yeah, out he's all about it. So that means there's a lot of unsung heroes. So this is just a a, li- a short list, a handful, a curated of our favorites. You can't see me doing the the hand motion. I don't know if this is radio, but, you know. <laughs> All right, let's get right into it. Who's our first guy? So our first on our list of heroes is the one, the only, Arvidwi, the Arvidwi. last king of Arnor. Arvidwi, yeah, yeah, yeah. And his name literally means last king in Sindarin, and that's because there was a prophecy by Malbeth the Seer to King Arafant, his father, that what was the gist of the prophecy? Well, well Malbeth basically prophesies that uh, Arvid, we he may end up being the last king of his line, Oof. or there's a caveat: he could be the last king of his line, or he could go on to become king of a new kingdom, and he would then prosper and get to change his name. That just never quite was in the cards. That's, they, that's not uh, how it played out. Spoiler Ar- alert. Yeah, spoiler alert. Arvidui didn't turn out. Yeah, <laughs> as we started off, he, he ended up being the last king of Arnor. So yeah, we'll get a little more information on that in an upcoming episode. Yes, yes, yes. Very excited episode. I had to cut a whole bunch of that out just because I knew we were covering it soon. Yeah, you know? so we'll cover more of that in our Prophecies episode in our upcoming Doom trilogy. The Doom 
trilogy. Okay, so why is Arvidui a hero? So Arvidui inherited a pretty a pretty shitty situation. Yeah, Arnor was already falling apart when he took the throne from Arafant in 1964 of the Third Age. Yeah, Arnor at this time was hit with the Great Plague, which led to massive depopulation. There was also the constant war with Angmar, and then the division of the Dúnedain and Arnor, you know, part of the kin strife that happened. In both kingdoms, yeah. Yeah, there in was both kings, kingdoms. Kings strife in yeah. both kingdoms. So there was a lot going yeah. on just plaguing Arnor at the time, and Arvidui had to deal with all of this. All of this. And if you want to learn more about that, check out uh, episode 23, uh, Kingdoms of the Dúnedain series, part two, Arnor. So one of these issues he was having at the time, the constant war with Angmar. So in the year 1974, the Witch King's forces moved south and captured Fornos. Yeah, and they pushed the Dunedain all the way back to the Gulf of Loon. Pushing them all the way back to the coast. And uh, But luckily, along the way, uh, Arvidui had enough sense to rescue some of the precious artifacts from the kingdom, like the Palantiri, two of them. Specifically, the Anumanas yeah. Stone and the Amonsul Stone, both of them. Both of them, yeah. And then uh, the Ring of Bear here as well. And, and of course, the Scepter of Anumanas. Yeah, the Scepter of Anumanas, the rule of the the symbol of rule in the north. And Arvidui and his men, they held out on the downs uh, on the North Downs for as long as they could. And we got a little excerpt about that struggle. In the year 1974, the power of Angmar arose again. And the Witch King came down upon Arthedain before the winter was ended. He captured Fornost and drove the remaining Dúnedain to the Loon. Among them were the sons of the king. But King Arvidui held out upon the North Downs until the last, and then fled north with some of his guards, and they escaped by the swiftness of their horses. Yeah, and eventually they end up retreating all the way into some abandoned-ass dwarf mines. This is something, actually, I didn't know. Yeah, in the Blue Mountains, some ancient, abandoned fucking dwarf mines. Yeah, because the Blue Mountains are just riddled in dwarf mines. The Blue Mountains were full of dwarves. In the First in Age, the First even. Age, Second, and Third Age, they're, they're yeah. constantly occupied by dwarves. Yeah, and eventually they're driven out by hunger because nobody but dwarves knows how to survive <laughs> in those mines. So the uh, Dúnedain, they seek help from the Lossoth, that's the uh, snowmen of Forashel. Yeah, and they offer them jewels to help, but they, they are absolutely not impressed by the Arnorians' jewels. Yeah, uh, these snowmen are just like, why, why are you offering yeah. stones, really? And what they were more concerned with were those fucking swords that they had, <laughs> and uh, they decide to help them out of half fear and uh, half pity. Yeah, but they were they're very kindly hosts nonetheless, and they gave the Dunedain food and they built them some snow huts for the mean in the meantime while they had to be there. And Arvidui's son, Aranarth, he actually gave word to Kirdan the motherfucking shipwright shafted about his father's plight. And Kirdan sends ships up to Forshell to save Arvidui and his men. But when the ships arrive, the snowmen are terrified of these ships. They haven't seen ships up on those waters in generations. Yeah, and this in the uh, chief of the snowmen actually gives counsel to Arvidui, and we've got a uh, excerpt about this exchange. Do not mount on this sea monster. If they have them, let the seamen bring us food and other things that we need, and you may stay here till the witch king goes home, for in summer his power wanes, but now his breath is deadly and his cold arm is long. 
Yeah, the snowmen didn't like the idea of going out on the boats at this time just because it being winter and they didn't trust the waters and they didn't trust because the Witch King was so close and his so powerful. Yeah. How'd you like my snowman voice there? Was that okay? That was. <laughs> I dug it. I dug your snowman voice. <laughs> it was a creative choice. I wasn't sure if it was going to work, but I like it. It came out in the moment, and you know, it worked. <laughs> but ultimately, Arvidwee doesn't take the advice of the snowmen. He uh, instead gives them a ring, the ring, in fact, the ring of Bear of here, as a token of gratitude for their hospitality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Once again, which we see this all the time with that goddamn ring. It's a sign of gratitude. We've got an excerpt about uh, this exchange. But Arvidwee did not take his counsel. He thanked him, and at parting gave to him his ring, saying, This is a thing of worth beyond your reckoning, for its ancestry alone. It has no power save the esteem in which those hold it who love my house. It will not help you, but if you ever are in need, my kin will ransom it with great store of all that you desire. So at that, he boards the ship and fucking leaves. Or at least he tries, tries to leave. <laughs> As <laughs> you may have guessed or yeah. may have heard before, the, the sh- ship is overtaken by wind out of the north and is smashed on the ice. The hull is crushed and the ship sinks. And all aboard perish, including Arvidwi and all of Kyrdan's sailors. And the Anumina stone and the Amonstul so- stones are lost in the sea. So there goes two of the Palantiri. Sunk. So why do we like Arvidwee? Let's 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 recap a little bit. Arvidwee came to power at the worst fucking possible time you could think of. Yeah, he tried his best to do what he thought was right for his people, including trying to reunite the two kingdoms before the fall of Arthedane. Yeah, and then during the inevitable fall, he saved as many people and as precious artifacts as he could because he was literally trying to keep the culture of the northern Dunedain from being wiped off the face of the fucking earth. Yeah, he was saving the whole northern culture. And that's why we like Arvidui. He's a little unsung hero. He's one of my favorite little Dunedain characters. Yeah, he, he really does inherit a shitty, shitty situation, and he, he does good, considering the hand he was dealt. Yeah. And he really does help save as much of the northern culture as he can. Yeah. And also because of him, the Ring of Bear here gets passed down the line still. Yeah. And then uh, his son, um, Aaron Arth, just a bit on him. He's kind of an unsung hero, too. He starts the whole chieftain culture. Oh, the first chieftain of the Dunedain. Yeah. So he's the first chieftain of the Dunedain. He decides not to rebuild the kingdom. And he also decides to uh, foster the sons of the chieftain in Rivendell until they're of age. So that, he's the one that made that first decision. That tradition becomes. Oh, okay. Okay, we're learning a lot today. Yeah, we are, baby. We're back. (laughs) Well, let's jump to our next person on our list of unsung heroes, and that is the mighty, the one and only, Elfhelm. So Elfhelm is the commander of the Garrison of Edoras from the years 3012 to 3019 of the Third Age, and after the War of the Ring, he was named Marshal of the East Mark. So why, oh why, are they an unsung hero? Well, most of the cool shit we hear from Elfhelm actually doesn't take place in the main story of The Lord of the Rings. He's first mentioned as the uh, hero of the first Battle of the Fords of Aizen. Yeah, Battle of the Fords of Aizen is uh, another lesser-known battle. It isn't one of the ones we've covered before, but perhaps in a future episode. Perhaps maybe another episode like that. And this is found only in the Unfinished Tales. Believe it or not, um, in these uh, so there's two battles of the Fords of Eisen. They took place on February 25th and March 2nd of TA 3019, the Magic Year. 
And this is the first big clash between Sauron's forces from Isengard and Rohan. We're not going to get into the battle too much, like we said, but uh, it's pretty significant just for that reason. So let's set up the first battle in which Elfhelm is the hero, right? So uh, Saruman's first move in the War of the Ring was to destroy Rohan's ability to defend itself right off the bat, Psh, right? He dis- he prioritized killing, destroying Theodred first, the king of um, uh, the son of the king. Theoden. So Theodred retreats to the Fords, and he puts Grimbold in charge of the forces on the west bank and to hold the middle of the ford for this retreat. But a force was now attacking the east bank from the north side. Yeah, so Saruman had actually, uh, the Fords of Eisen was previously the only way to cross the river with a large army, but he had made a secret bridge miles upstream just for this moment here. <laughs> yeah, so they were basically flanked by surprise because he had built a secret bridge further up the river. I thought that was pretty wild. Yeah, that's pretty freaking cool. And uh, Grimbold actually leads a charge to break through and save Theodred, who's literally in the middle of the fords as this is happening. Yeah, it's it's an absolute mess. And he's completely surrounded. So Grimbold comes charging in to save Theodred, but unfortunately Grimbold is too late and he arrives just in time to see Theodred get killed by an orc. But Grimbold does manage to slay that orc and he's able to hear Theodred's last words before he dies. And his last words were, Let me lie here to protect the Fords until Aemar arrives. Some sad shit. Yeah, and I think they later actually bury Theodred at the Fords, if I remember right. Okay. But now at this point, now Gimbold is surrounded, and the Fenders of the Eastmark are totally, totally fucked. But then, at the rising of the sun riding out of the east, who comes? But Elfhelm leading four companies of cavalry... From Edoras. This is why he's a hero. Because he just shows up right at the fucking worst possible... Well, right when he's needed most. Yeah. When the battle is at its worst. And as he's riding up, he rides up with the rising sun at his at the backs of him and his people. And this makes his host look much larger than the orcs and the Dunlendings thought. And they just absolutely run in terror. Yeah, and it said all those who stood their ground were killed and the rest ran off. That's insane. Yeah. That's pretty gnarly. Just straight up, all who opposed them were killed. And, and though there is a second battle of the Fords, Elfhelm doesn't actually do a whole lot in the, sec- the second battle. He's uh, um, he's kind of cut off by war riders, and he barely escapes east. His men just kind of run off east back to Adoras. Grimbold, however, in this whole exchange is completely uh, is completely fucked, and he, do- he does uh, some pretty heroic shit, which we're not going to get into here, but just know... Grimbold also does some pretty cool shit at this battle. Yeah, so that's just one of the reasons why Elfhelm is badass and is one of our unsung heroes. But he also does some really cool shit during the actual War of the Ring itself, as I'm sure some of you are probably thinking. Yeah, and Elfhelm, uh, so during the Battle of the Hornburg, he was actually holding down Edoras at the time. He was leading the garrison at Edoras, which you'll notice in the the theme of this list is people who held down the home front. People who hold down home base? Yes, dude. Yeah. Yes, this is a theme that runs through this episode, you'll notice. Yeah, so Elfhelm holds down Edoras while the battles are going on at the Hornburg. He was also key in the ride of the Rohirrim that saved the day at the Battle of Pelennor Fields. Yeah, he was a key advisor when approaching Minas Tirith because he was one of the only captains of the Rohirrim that had actually been to Minas Tirith in peacetime. Yeah, so he had some idea of the land. He was also... The leader of the group at Theoden's right hand. Yeah, yeah. So as they're sweeping in, he's on the right. So they're in charge of bringing down the siege engines and driving the enemy into the pits of fire that surround the wall of the city. 
What a fun freaking job. That's pretty crazy, yeah. And it was in Elfhelm's company that Mary and Dernhelm rode to war. And this Remember is that? Well, when uh, when Eowyn did her, her Dernhelm. Yeah, her, her her whole Dernhelm routine. And this is actually my favorite favoritest favoritest thing about Elfhelm. <laughs> Just because he went with it? Is he went along with it. Yeah, Elfhelm knows both of these motherfuckers are here. And they're not supposed to be. Yeah, this is my, this is my favorite thing about him. We've got a quick excerpt here when uh, about Elfhelm confronting Mary. There seemed to be some understanding between Dernhelm and Elfhelm, the marshal who commanded the Aorid in which they were riding. He and all of his men ignored Mary and pretended not to hear if he spoke. He might have been just another bag Dernhelm was carrying. Yeah, Mary is basically lying down in the dark when Elfhelm comes up and trips over him and he just curses the tree roots. <laughs> yeah, I love that. He curses tree roots. And Mary actually addresses him and says, hey, I'm, I'm not uh, tree roots. And they have a short conversation here. A tall figure loomed up and stumbled over him, cursing the tree roots. He recognized the voice of, Elf, of Elfhelm the marshal. I'm not a tree root, sir, he said, nor a bag, but a bruised hobbit. The least you can do in amends is to tell me what is afoot. Anything that can keep so in this devil's murk, answered Elfhelm. But my lord sends word that we must set ourselves in readiness. Order may come for a sudden move. Yeah, so he actually has, he, he fucking acknowledges that Mary is a person. And then actually respects him enough to tell him what the fuck is going on. Yeah, he's like, I'm, nice. he's basically like, I'm not going to blow your cover. Here's a little bit of what's yeah, going on. Yeah, here's a little bit of it. You deserve as much information as we have, you know. And uh, so after the Battle of Pelennor Fields, Elfhelm was actually put in charge of all of Rohan's forces to stay back in Minas Tirith while the captains of the West marched on the Black Gate. So again, again holding down the home front. He's the man people trust. So after the War of the Ring is all over, Elfhelm, Elfhelm is present for the coronation of King Elisar, and he is also named Marshal of the East Mark by King Eomer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's, another, let's recap Elfhelm. Why do we like Elfhelm? So he's got the coolest name of the Marshals, first of all. Yeah, let's be honest. Elfhelm, awesome. And he's involved in some dope battles that we don't hear about in the main story. But at the same time, he's also not afraid to post up when needed. For example, like we said, posting up in Edoras, posting up in Minas Tirith, holding down the home fort. Yeah. And also he knows about Marion Dernholm. We love that about him. Yeah, and he just kind of plays along. That makes him pretty much the coolest. And it technically is in defiance of the King's Order. But it does really turn the tides of the battle. If, yeah. it if he had turned them in, it would have screwed everything. Yeah, the Witch King would still be running around and shit. Yeah. Elfhelm. Elfhelm. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Unsung hero. Unsung hero. Okay. okay, let's get into the next one. So the next one on our list, this one I was pretty excited for. Guys, our next unsung hero is Hanbury Han. Oh yeah, you know there's some Hanbury Han heads out there. So who is Han? So Hanbury Han, for those who don't remember, is the leader of the people of the Dru in the Drudane Forest. So he, we meet them in the Return of the King when the Rohirrim are on their way to Pelennor Fields. Yep, and that's an ancient forest um, just north of the eastern end of the White Mountains. And that's Ered Nimrais for all you <laughs> elvish people out there. Yeah, and the men that live in this forest are known as the Drudane, and that name is Sindarin for wild man. And they're a very old group of a Dane of men that descend from the forest dwellers of the first and second ages. So, uh, me and Danny were actually just talking. Apparently, they go yeah. all the way back to the forest of Brethel in the yeah, first Yeah, all the way back to the forest of Brethel. And yeah, just a second on this. This isn't in the outline, but I thought this was cool, and you guys might want to know. 
So <laughs> they kind of hang around with other groups of the Adine. They're short and they have, um, they're kind of dwarf-like and they have red glowing eyes and they're known to have like magical properties. Yeah, so they're, and, they've always been kind of like the wild man, yeah. little and, magical. And they're mysterious and some of them actually went to Numenor, believe it or not. And they lived there for generations, and then they realized that the shit was going down, and they all left. So there was none left on the island when the when, when the, the fall island happened. fell. Yeah. See, I, d- I did not know any of this shit. This was all Me news neither. to me. That was really cool. But yeah, when the Numenorians began to colonize Middle Earth, uh, they flee the the Druidan. They flee to the mountains of Andras, which is this region that the Numenorians never really colonized, and they kind of still hang out there in the Third Age as well. But by the Third Age, they mostly only dwell in the Druidan forest. So, the Druidane, back to Hanbury Han himself. So, why do we like Han? Because he did some very simple shit that made all the difference in the world for the Battle of Pelennor Fields and the War of the Ring. Yeah. When uh, the Rohirrim were making their way to Minas Tirith, Han actually approached them peacefully, and he offered information to King Theoden um, to be given only under two conditions. Uh, what were those two conditions, Joel? <laughs> so, he basically was like, I'll help you guys out, but one... You have to kill all the orcs with your quote-unquote shiny iron. Shiny iron. Yeah, they hate the orcs. And two, leave us alone forever. <laughs> yeah, that's all you have to do is kill all those fucking orcs and leave us alone forever. And we're going to tell you something that's going to change your fucking... It's going to blow your mind, really. We've got a quick excerpt here with uh, of an exchange between Theoden and Hanbury Han. If you are faithful, Hanbury Han... Then we will give you rich reward, and you shall have the friendship of the mark forever. Dead men are not friends to living men, and give them no gifts, said the wild man. But if you live after darkness, then leave wild men alone in woods, and do not hunt them like beasts anymore. As we know, Thaden uh, accepts that offer. (laughs) Yeah, sweet deal. Now Joel gets to do a Hunbury Han voice. Go for it, Joel. Hanbury Han will not lead you into trap. He will go himself with father of horsemen, and if he leads you wrong, you will kill him. So be it, said Theoden. I love that we both got to do a Hanbury Han voice. <laughs> that made me very happy. So Hanbury Han leads them to an old wagon road built by the Numenorians, but long since forgotten by the Third Age. And it's been reclaimed by the forest, and it's called the Stone Wayne Valley. Yeah, it's a, it's an old wagon road. Yeah, from uh from Kalinarden to uh, Minas Tirith, essentially that they everyone's forgotten about, including Gondor. Yeah, and Hanbury Hani explains that this road will allow them to come to the city undetected by the enemy, which is already besieged by orcs at this time. Because I think didn't they just capture Car Andros? So they were worried about them crossing over and attacking them before they got to the city, right? Yep. So by cutting through Stoneing Valley, they only they not only cut off a bunch of time getting there, they also avoided a huge fucking ambush. Yeah, it was perfect. He he saved their lives. Yeah, after escorting them safely through the forest, uh, Han and the Druidane fade away into the forest and are never seen again by the men of the West. Never seen by mortal man ever again. Yeah, and after the war, King Alisar also makes the Druidane Forest a protected enclave for the reunited kingdom. Yeah, isn't that nice? Alisar's just the best, isn't he? Yeah, he's just looking out. Hanbury Han. Hanbury Han. Unsung hero. Unsung. Let your song be sung from mountains high. That's a church song. Okay. Unsung no longer. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, all right, let's get into the next one. Who do we got here? We talk about this guy quite a bit, too, because we love him so much. Yeah, this is a good old Frediger Fatty Bulger. And who is, pray tell, Fatty Bulger? So, Mr. Bulger, Mr. Frediger, he is a descendant of the old Duke. He is the son of, oh, I'm going to butcher this one, Ottavacar Bulger and Rosamunda Took. Yeah, I think you got it, man. And you know what I realized when I was looking through this? All of the hobbits, except for Sam, so like Pippin, Mary, Frodo, they're all related, or in Fatty as well. They're all descended from the old Took. Oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah. So Frediger is also friends with Frodo, Mary, and Pippin. During the early parts of the Fellowship, when Frodo's planning to leave, he actually knows about the ring, but decides to stay home and hold down the fort at Crick Hollow. To do what? To hold down the fort, son? Yeah, there's that theme again. So why do we like Fatty? Like we said, he stays in the Shire instead of going with the others. And uh, he also helps maintain that Frodo is living in Crick Hollow and not away on adventure. Yeah, this guy's literally like wearing his clothes (laughs) and living in his house. Doing his chores and shit. (laughs) Yeah, he literally lives in Crick Hollow even when he knows the Nazgul might come and he just kind of waits. Yeah, there's actually a point where he's like, you can come with us into the old forest or stay here and possibly get eaten by the Nazgul or whatever. And he's like, no, I'm not going in the old forest. Yeah, he's like, it's the scariest thing I can think of is the old forest. Well, unfortunately, as we know, Fatty comes to meet the Nazgul. Yes, he does. They eventually come calling and they literally bust down the door to Crick Hollow. And uh, Frediger manages to escape just in time out the back door, and he raises the Horn of Buckland, which hasn't been raised in centuries, and it basically causes the Nazgul to scatter. Yeah, apparently the last time they rang it was when in, during the long winter when the wolves crossed the Brandywine. That's right. We've got an uh, excerpt here about Frediger. There was a faint stir in the leaves, and a cock crowed far away. The cold hour before dawn was passing. The figure by the door moved. In the dark, without moon or stars, a drawn blade gleamed, as if a chill light had been unsheathed. There was a blow, soft but heavy, and the door shuddered. Open in the name of Mordor, said a voice, thin and menacing. At the second blow, the door yielded and fell back, with timbers burst and the locks broken. The black figures passed swiftly in. At that moment, among the trees nearby, a horn rang out, and it rent the night like fire on the hilltop. Awake! Fear! Fire! Foes! Awake! Yeah, the Horn of Buckland. Yeah, dude. So Fatty's a real hero in that situation. Yeah, he really saves the day, and he actually ends up scaring off the Nazgul. He gets all of Buckland to get roused and woken up, and they drive him out. Yeah, dude. The Nazgul are so scary. Like, that part is straight scary there. When it's, like, talking about them just, like, unsheathing the blade before the door. And mm-hmm. they're like, they're going to go it's fuck spooky. this guy up. Yeah. It's real spooky. Yeah, dude. But that's not even the only cool-ass thing that Frediger Fatty Bulger does. No, it's not. He actually is... Uh, and I think this this is really where he gets shafted the most here. Oh, totally. This is the most shafted-y shafted part of Fatty's <laughs> career here. Um, And that's Fatty and the Scouring. Yeah, so during Saruman's takeover of the Shire, Frediger, Fatty Bulger, he wasn't idle. This motherfucker gathered a group of swole-ass hobbits, and they took up arms, and they fought a bunch of the ruffians at the uh, Brockboars near the hills of Skyri. Yeah, and him and his, his fellows, they held out for a long time, but they were actually eventually captured and thrown into the lock holes in Mikhil Dalving. 
Yeah, and this is when Fatty was starved, basically in solitary confinement. And uh, after the Battle of Bywater, he was finally set free, but no one ever called him Fatty again, understandably. Understandably. But here's a little uh, excerpt from one of our favorite chapters of any book ever fucking written, The Scouring of the Shire. The day after the battle, they rode to Mikkel Delving and released the prisoners from the lock holes. One of the first that they found was poor Fredegar Bulger, fatty no more. He'd been taken when the ruffians smoked out a band of rebels that he led from their hidings up in the Brookenbores by the hills of Scarry. But uh, Fredegar was happy to see his friends. Yeah, and he still has a little bit of sense of humor here. And we got a little uh, quote about that here, too. You would have done better to come with us after all, poor Fredegar, said Pippin, as they carried him out too weak to walk. He opened an eye and tried gallantly to smile. Who's this young giant with the loud voice, he whispered. Not little Pippin. What's your size in hats now? <laughs> Which is just kind of a fun thing to say to your friend as you're being like dragged out, half starved to death. Yeah, this guy's like barely hanging on. Yeah, and the I first thing he comments on is Pippin's too tall. Yeah, Pippin's too big. And it would seem that Fatty like made the cowardly choice by not going with his friends, but it turned out to be a much, much harder job than he thought. When he stayed in the, the Crick Hollow? Just, yeah, yeah, just staying behind in the Shire in general. Just turned it's to, true, yeah. Turned he, out to be a lot more problematic. Than yeah, because he, he stayed behind in the Shire and he dealt with both the Ringwraiths and the scouring before the hobbits got back yeah he he really did a lot yeah he played the role of uh the home guard well and uh he always kept his friends secrets uh and he took up arms to defend their people when he was the only one who could yeah he did all this without the help or comfort of having any of the co-conspirators close by none of his close friends yeah he didn't have gandalf guiding him or aragorn or anyone yeah and think about that all this horrible shit is going down in your home and you know that none of it ultimately really matters because your friends are off doing the most important shit in the world right now so it's like the amount of stress that must have been on fatty Mm -hmm. bulger is phenomenal mad respect fatty bulger fatty bulger unsung hero unsung no more all right, let's get into our. I love that. That's we're we're locked into that, right? <laughs> our next one is one of our favorite uh, kind of dumb characters. <laughs> I love him. Though. <laughs> I love him though, and his name is Barlam and Butterbur. Butterbur. People. Some of the people are probably going to be thinking like, "What? Yeah, Butterbur's no. a hero." The, after you listen to this section, you'll know. <laughs> <laughs> so briefly, let's just just touch on who is Butterbur for those who don't remember. Um, Yeah, he's the owner and operator of the Inn of the Prancing Pony in Bree at the time of the War of the Ring. The Butterbur family has ran the Prancing Pony for generations, and uh, the family tree is featured prominently in the inn. Yeah, so let's talk a little bit about that Prancing Pony. It's a large inn in the center of the village of Bree, and it's the most hoppinest place for travelers and locals alike. Yeah, there are three different main types of folk that hang out at the Prancing Pony. And it this kind of goes for Bree people in general. In general, yeah. There's uh, the hobbits, the local hobbits. There's the shorter men of the Bree lands, kind of the local folks. And then there's the tall, dark-haired rangers that always are coming through. Yeah, and also sprinkling some dwarves here and there. Yeah, because the dwarves are always using the east-west Always west passing roads. through the east-west road, yeah. But yeah, we like Butterbur. Why do we like Butterbur? First off, he's a fucking funny dude, man. He's some comic relief in the story. Um, his shitty memory and uh, general scatterbrain nature are fun. He's also, like we mentioned earlier, 
he runs the Prancing Pony in Bree, which is the most happening place around. Yeah, you want to be there. Yeah, you want to be there. And yeah. I mean, because of that, despite you know his shitty memory sometimes, he's still the guy to go to for information around town. Yeah, sometimes you just want to go where everyone knows your name, you know? The Prancing Pony. <laughs> if Bree were actually a Skyrim village, you would definitely want to talk to Butterbur first in the bar. Yeah, he's he's the guy at the end you'd go to and, you know, get some local quests and get some information. Yeah, get them quests. Um, And for whatever reason, another reason we like him, for whatever reason, he's a trusted friend of Gandalf. Yeah, yeah, that's a big part of it. Gandalf <laughs> trusts him. And if Gandalf trusts him, we trust him. But oddly enough, Aragorn seems not to respect him very much. <laughs> I mean, it might have something to do with the fact that he's a blubbering, forgetful fool, yeah. but and he also doesn't. He thinks the he thinks the Rangers are no good as well. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But he actually refers to him at the Council of Elrond, as you may famously remember, as one fat man in Bree. <laughs> That's right. So the most clutch thing that he actually does turns out to be that turns out to be a big help is really uh, just kind of be stupid. He forgets to mail a letter from Gandalf to Frodo. It's supposed to send off to the Shire. Never does it. And because he forgot to mail the letter originally, this means the letter came to Frodo more or less at the perfect time, telling him about Aragorn yeah. as he's meeting Aragorn. But yes, when Gandalf tells, uh, or when he tells Gandalf that he's forgotten the letter and that the hobbits fell in with Strider, oh my god, I'm so sorry they fell in with Strider, uh, Gandalf is actually super relieved and he hugs him. It doesn't even say he gives him a couple gold coins and puts a spell of surpassing loveliness on your beer for seven years yeah, or something Yeah, for seven like. years or something like that, <laughs> yeah. And then he's just like, I can finally sleep tonight. But aside from that, also, when he learns about the Nazgul being in town, even though he's terrified, he still helps the hobbits get out of Bree as fast as they can. We've got a quick excerpt here about that. They come from Mordor, said Strider in a low voice. From Mordor, Barlamin, if that means anything to you. Save us, cried Barlamin, Butterbur, turning pale. The name was evidently known to him. That is the worst news that has come to Bree in my time. It is, said Frodo. Are you still willing to help me? I am, said Mr. Butterbur, more than ever, though I don't know what the like of me can do against... Uh, against... He faltered. Against the shadow in the east, Strider said quietly. Not much, Barleyman, but every little bit helps. Okay, yeah, so if you don't think that fucking Barleyman Butterbur is a hero, let's just look at this section here. He says... Are you still willing to help me when he says that it's like the most, they're, they're writers from Mordor, right? Like the most Yo. terrifying thing you could fucking imagine. He goes, are you still, Frodo goes, are you still willing to help me? And he says, yes, more than ever, but I have no idea what I can do. Mm -hmm. Like that's, that's a heroic statement, right? Like, yeah. He's still standing up in the face of pure evil, even though he doesn't know what he can do to help. He just wants to help them. Yeah. And that's why unsung hero. Unsung no more. No more. Let's get into the next one. <laughs> so the next character on our list of unsung heroes is Halbarad. And Halbarad is a name that means tall tower in Cinderin. Beyond the name, who is Halbarad? Yeah, let's review for some who, do, who might not remember, like myself. <laughs> he is a kinsman of Aragorn, closely related to enough to be called kinsman, but their relationship isn't specifically defined I think they're cousins. Yeah, it's likely they're some kind of cousins. Yeah, because like I feel like all the Dunedain Rangers are cousins. 
Like you, you hang out with your cousins, your nephews, and your uncles. Like that's yeah. all of them. You know what I mean? So Halbarad is a Dunedain ranger of the North Kingdom, and he's the captain of the Great Company. And that's the group of 30 Dunedain rangers that come to Aragorn's aid when he rides to war in The Return of the King. And they also include in bo- uh, bonus riders Eladon and Elrond here. Two elves. Hell yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sons of Elrond. Whooping ass. Yeah, those two are also just particularly badass. Yeah, dude. And then you um, and then they stack on Gimli and Legolas, too. Oh, yeah. They're just stacked. Yeah, they're stacked. So they come to meet Aragorn at Dol Baran on the night of March 5th in the year 3019 of the Third Age, that, that magical year. And he brings, uh, Halbred brings to uh, to Aragorn the uh, banner of Elendil that's made by Arwen. It's actually sewn with mithril thread. I didn't know that. Yeah, dude. That's really cool. Yeah. He also comes with the words of Malbeth the Seer, and we've got a quote here about that. Over the land there lies a long shadow, westward reaching wings of darkness. The tower trembles to the tombs of kings, doom approaches. The dead awaken, for the hour is come for the oathbreakers. At the stone of Eric they shall stand again, and hear there a horn in the hills ringing. Who shall the horn be? Who shall call them from the gray twilight, the forgotten people? The heir of him to whom the oath they swore. From the north he shall come, need shall drive him. He shall pass the door to the paths of the dead. Hell yeah. Some of you may remember those last two sentences. They use those in the movie too. Yes, they do. So yeah, the Grey Company rides through the paths of the dead with Aragorn, and Halbarad captains one of the captured Corsair ships of Harland. Or he captures that ship and goes to Harland. Oh, excuse me. <laughs> Harland is the, uh, the harbor of Minas Tirith. Yeah, so the Grey Company, as we know, rides through the paths of the dead with Aragorn, and Halbrod captains one of the captured Corsair ships and sails it all the way to Harland. Yeah, and uh, Halbrod, he becomes the uh, like the banner bearer for uh, he unfurls the banner at the Battle of Pelennor Fields. Remember, oh, and then Eomer yeah. throws his sword in the air and sings as it falls to the ground, and he catches it. And it's the most epic moment ever, and then they just whoop fucking ass after that. And it's, yeah. But uh, Halbered, uh sadly, is actually slain in the Battle of Pelennor Fields, fighting beside Aragorn. Valiant. Yeah, so why do we like Halbered? Yeah, a little review. So he's the only relative of Aragorn's we ever meet. That's one cool reason. Yeah, and they straight embrace each other as soon as they see each other. Like, they love the fuck out of each other, whoever they are. And that also, it just reminds us that there is still some badassery left in the Old North Kingdom apart from Aragorn. And this is why they're super shafted, because they don't show that shit in the movie. No, they really don't talk much about the North Kingdom at all. At all. I don't even know if they mention it. They don't. They freaking don't. But Halbarad is also the only member of the Grey Company that never gets to return home to the north. Yeah, that's it, super sad. It's uh, beautiful but sad. And yeah, and one of the reasons, we, well, the main reason we like him, he's a shafted leader of a shafted group of fucking <laughs> Of the characters. entire group, yeah. yeah. <laughs> shafted leader of a shafted group of characters. Shafted hard. Shafted. So Halbarad, unsung hero. Unsung no more. No more. Next on our list of heroes, the good old Farmer Maggot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So who is Farmer Maggot? He's a rather gruff and shrewd old hobbit that lives in the Marish, which is in the east farthing of the Shire. And at the time of the War of the Ring, he's the owner and operator of Bamfurlong Farm. And he had 
three huge dogs as w- that we may know as Wolf, Fang, and Grip. And I say that, yeah, half of what Farmer Maggot does, also credit goes to the dogs as well. Just having the dogs? Just, yeah, they get, they get assists on everything. Because he's it's so much of what he does. And he, yeah, he's actually a good friend to all the Brandy Bucks and everyone that lives in Brandy Hall. He, he, loves, he loves them. He's also mentioned by name by Tom Bombadil. He, he's as a man of respect. As a man of respect. Yeah. So uh, why do we like Farmer Maggot? First off, the good, old, the, the, the good boys. The dogs. The doggies. He's got dogs. Most hobbits are afraid of dogs and do not typically keep them as pets. But he's got three big-ass dogs. Big old. They describe them as big dogs, which means yeah. they're probably just like medium-sized dogs. Yeah, they're us, probably like but... golden retrievers. <laughs> <laughs> just terrifying to hobbits. But yeah, he's also the guy for all news coming into the Shire. This dude is on the border. He takes in all the new tra- all the new travelers pass through his way. He's the guy. Yeah, in a way, he's kind of the protector of the Shire. Yeah, honestly, he is one of the protectors. And I, I think like the Dunedain and uh, Gandalf kind of realize that. Like he's an important person on that end of the the Shire. Yeah, he kind of he kind of works to the same ends. I think he also comes face to face with the Nazgul. Yeah. Not least of all why he's cool. I mean... Yeah. And this dude, the Nazgul, it, it asks him about Baggins. And he offers him treasure if he reports on Baggins, if he comes back. Yeah, but Maggot just gets pissed off and threatens to set his dogs on him. Yeah, he's like, he's like, I'll come back with treasure. He's like, no, you most certainly will not. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, Maggot's not much of a threat to the Nazgul. And they, they almost run him down, but still, he, 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 stood, he stood his ground. He wasn't about to get pushed around or bribed. By a fucking Nazgul. He's a man of honor. And here's an excerpt about that uh, fun interaction. Baggins has left, he answered in a whisper. He is coming. He is not far away. I wish to find him. If he passes, will you tell me? I will come back with gold. No, you won't, I said. You'll go back where you belong. Double quick. I give you one minute before I call my dogs. He gave a sort of hiss. It might have been laughing, and it might not. Then he spurred his great horse right at me, and I jumped out of the way only just in time. Yeah, and if that standing up to the Nazgul isn't heroic is a fucking hobbit, yeah, man. I don't know what the hell is. We've talked about it in the past. Even seasoned warriors are terrified of the Nazgul. Yeah, they shit their pants when they're And around. he stands there and threatens to sick his dogs on him. Yeah. Hell so. yeah, Farmer Maggot. Unsung hero. Unsung no more. No more. No more. All right, let's get on to the next one. This one really pisses me off because it's like he's shafted all the time. Mm-hmm. Even in the when he's not shafted, he's kind of shafted. Yeah. And that's, of course, Anarian. And that name actually means son of the sun in Gwenya, like, like S-O-N of the S-U-N. So briefly, for those who don't remember, who is Anarian? Anarian is the son of Elendil, born in the Second Age, 3219, in Numenor. And that's right. Brother to Isildur. Yeah, younger brother of Isildur. Um, he's one of the. Uh, he's mentioned as one of the leaders of the the faithful, uh, also known as the Elendili, and that's that group of people, the elf lovers in Numenor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Anarian famously captained two of the nine ships. That carried the faithful away from the fall of Numenor, and he was the co-ruler of the Southern Kingdom with the Sealdor. Yeah, they ran that shit together for a while, um, and they all had—they both had their cities. Remember, um, Anarion had Minas Anor, and uh, uh, Minas Ithil was a Sealdor city, and they talked with their walkie-talkie stones. Their walkie-talkie stones. <laughs> 
way, way futuristic, way past their time. Yeah. And Arian, he was also one of the main players in the last alliance of elves and men. He is also the commander of the Dúnedain of Gondor. But he was eventually killed at the siege of Barad-dûr uh, during the uh, time... Seven-year-long. The seven-year-long siege of Barad-dûr. A missile was flung from the top of the tower and it crushed his head, which is a pretty metal way to go, too. Yeah, after seven years of like just watching ship you flung off, one time hits you, you're done. So why do we like Anarian? The love between the two brothers, Isildur and Anarian, is very wholesome. Yeah, I love it. I love the fact that they, they rule together and they love the shit out of each other. And uh, they rule Gondor, they rule and protect Gondor together as brothers. And uh, as I'm writing this, I can't help but wonder if Tolkien's love between the brothers Faramir and Boromir is also meant to mirror the love of these two brothers because they also do the whole protect Gondor thing together as like a pair. That's true. Of brothers. I never thought about that. That's yeah. I like that. Yeah. Some Tolkienary. An Arian is often also mentioned in the same breath as his brother, but uh, not often singled out for his badassery. I mean, this guy holds down the fort during the last alliance, while yeah. the others go north to plan and prepare the assault for Mordor. An Arian stays back in Gondor to keep watch. Yeah, because remember, Athelion falls. And uh, or not Athelion, Minas Ithil falls, and uh, and uh, Isildur's got to go to the North Kingdom. He leaves, mm-hmm. and then he's meant. Uh, so Anarion holds him off at Esgiliath at one point. Yeah, the, yeah, these places are not all that distant from each other. He's uh, he's holding things together just in time for the alliance to get down there. And there's and our do theme. That's our theme again: holding yeah. down the home front, holding down the fort. Oh, and just yeah. So the the last alliance actually. The whole plan kind of actually fucking hinges on the fact that he can keep Gondor from falling before they can get <laughs> before the rest of the alliance can can make their move. Yeah, and he does an amazing job. Yeah, does an amazing job. Uh, and here's a little excerpt about that. Meanwhile, Anarion held us Gileath against the enemy, and for that time drove him back to the mountains. But Sauron gathered his strength again, and Anarion knew that unless help should come, his kingdom would not long stand. Yeah, and that's our bit. That's that's what we have to say about Anarion, gosh darn it. Holding up the fort. Yeah, holding down the fort. Uh, unsung hero. Unsung no more. No more. All right, our next one. There's a, a funny little backstory about this, <laughs> this section. So then, <laughs> before we get into, I just want I want to tell them this story because I want you to I want them to know how big of a nerd you are. So I'm writing this story and uh, I hit up I'm writing this episode and I hit up Joel. I was like, "Do you want to do this particular section because it's about one of your favorite characters?" And he's like, "Not really want to, but I can do it if you run if you're running behind." And I'm like, "No, man, I'll, I'll do it. Whatever." And then uh, about 40 minutes later, um, I look and Joel's like, "I've added some things." And I go, and he's written the entire section. Just almost, like, <laughs> just 80% of the entire section. And I was like, see, I fucking knew it, dude. I knew you'd It's funny, because section. when you originally asked me, I was like, no, I don't really want to do it. But then, like, because you asked me, now I'm sitting there thinking about it. I'm like, you know what? I kind of hope he includes this. And I, yep. You know what? I kind of hope he includes that. And I just ended up putting some notes down. And this was a really cool excerpt. And so anyway. who, yeah, so who is it, Joel? So the next person on our list is Dane Two Ironfoot. Yeah, and uh, so uh, Dane was born in the Third Age, twenty seven sixty seven, and lived to uh, thirty nineteen, the magic year. 
Thirty nineteen. Yeah, he was two hundred and fifty two years old when he died, which is pretty old for a dwarf. Pretty fucking old. So for those who don't remember, who is Dane Ironfoot? He is one of the dwarves of the law of the royal line of Durin of the Longbeards. Yeah. Cousin of Thorin Oakenshield. Cousin of Thorin, yeah. And he's actually the Lord of the Iron Hills and later King Under the Mountain after the death of his cousin Thorin Oakenshield. Yeah, so why do we like Dane? Well, for plenty of reasons. Plenty of reasons, not least of which here, at the Battle of Azanol Bazaar, he single-handedly beheads Azog the Defiler with a single blow of his axe. No, 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 no. And he does this uh, immediately after watching his father Nain be killed, so this is kind of in revenge for his father's death. Immediate revenge. And also, in beheading Azog, he essentially ends the war of the dwarves and orcs. Yeah, and he was a very young dwarf at the time. He was only 32 years of age. Yeah, that's pretty young for a dwarf. Pretty fucking young. And his feat was heralded as a magnificent and glorious triumph for one, especially for one so young. Also, his handling of the Black Rider that kept coming to seek info on Bilbo, he he handled himself really well. I mean, this Black Rider came and wanted to buy the dwarves' friendship and bribe them for information on Bilbo, but Dane refused to be bribed or blackmailed. And uh, he basically sent this messenger away, this messenger that we know to basically be a Nazgul. Yeah. And uh, he sent the messenger away claiming that he needed more time to think over his proposal when in reality he was just kind of stalling and he sent Gloin off to Rivendell to consult with Elrond. Hell yeah. While Dane prepared the Lonely Mountain for war. Hell yeah. What a G, dude. He just sends a, he's like, yeah, give me some time to answer your question, evil dude. And he's like, yo, you got to get out. We got to fucking... Get in touch with Bilbo, man. These guys are looking for him. Gloin, you go to Rivendell, talk to Elrond, and I'll get strapped up yeah, here. We're going to get shit ready here for war, because clearly war is coming. Another so thing, that yeah. was pretty cool. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Another great thing is just his general leadership. Uh, he was known to be a wise and just leader. Yeah, he brought much wealth to the mountain during his reign, and he was also on good terms with the men of Dale to the south and the elven king in northern Mirkwood as well. So this not only ensured peace on their borders, but also prosperity for all of these people. Peace and prosperity. Um, and also, one of the things we love is uh, actually his dying act. His final act. His final act. And that's defending uh, the body of King Brand, who is the, um, the son of Bard, the yeah. bowman. Yeah, he was the King of Dale and the Men of Dale at that time. And that's uh, during the Second Battle of Dale in uh, TA-3019. Yeah, this is while Pelennor Fields is going on. Yeah, same time. Lesser Known Battle. We just got, we covered it in the... In the, uh, in the Lesser Known Battles. Yeah, in that episode. Uh, so by this time, Dame was an extremely old dwarf at 252 years old, but he was strangely strong for his age, and he died defending the body of King Brand, who had already fallen, uh, standing before the gates of the Lonely Mountain. King Brand... Also an unsung hero in, the, in his own right. Yeah, in his own right, yeah. And uh, as, we, yeah, as we said earlier, he's the son of Bard the Bowman. And he was uh, instrumental in restoring glory to the city, partially due to his friendship with Dane. Um, and yes, he was killed defending the Lonely Mountain. And Dane he, and Brand. Dane and Brand, friends forever. I would have loved to live in one of their two colonies during the time of their friendly rule. That would yeah. have been a great time to live in either Under the Mountain or in Dale. I'd love to party with those two. Yeah. I feel like oh, they yeah. party hard, man. <laughs> Even into their old age. Yeah, dude. And so uh, we yeah, we got a little excerpt here Joel's going to read uh, about about this whole Battle of Dale. 
I should call that a heavy loss, if it was not a wonder, rather, that in his great age he could still wield his axe as mightily as they say he did, standing over the body of King Brand before the gate of Erebor until darkness fell. Dane to Ironfoot, unsung hero. Unsung no more. No more. All right, let's get into some more Dunedain shit. Dunedain? Yes! Next on our list of unsung heroes is Aranur. And his name is actually shortened from a, from the Quenya word for Mariner, um, which actually, I learned, the Quenya word for Mariner actually translates directly to sea servant. Hmm. Isn't that cool? So briefly, who is Aranur? He's the 33rd and final king of Gondor. Yes, he is the last of the line of Anarian. That is, until King Alisar... Who is technically a descendant of Anarian? Who is technically? We talked about through Arvidui, yeah, Aragorn through Arvidui's wife, yep, yep. Um, so yeah, uh, Aranur actually took no wife and had no children because he was too busy whooping ass all the time. Yeah, he was known for being quick to wrath, and he was also just eager to fight all the time. And we've got a quick excerpt here. Aranur was a man like his father in valor, but not in wisdom. He was a man of strong body and hot mood, but he would take no wife, for his only pleasure was in fighting or in the exercise of arms. Kind of reminds me of, like, Tulkas in a way. Yeah, I could see that. Um, yeah, he's actually uh, well known for his uh, role in the uh, Battle of Fornost and the general cleansing of the, no- of the North Kingdom after the fall. Yeah, and that kind of leads to his never-ending beef with the Witch King of Angmar as well. But uh, why, do, why, why do we like Aranor, Danny? Well, I really enjoy his role in the uh, his role in cleansing the forces of Angmar from the North Kingdom. He um, was sent from Gondor with a fleet of ships to aid the Northern Kingdom, and this includes uh, a shitload of elves and Dúnedain who had been pushed out of the North Kingdom, as well as more reinforcements from Gondor and also some cavalry from Rovanian. Um, and the the ships actually this is in uh, Third Age, nineteen seventy four, by the way. Um, when he's still a prince and captain of Gondor. The, his ships actually filled all three harbors of the Havens. Do you remember the three harbors of the Havens? Yeah. No. No, I don't. <laughs> They're right there. Read them. Yeah, he filled all three harbors, Harland, Mithland, and Forland, with all of his ships. And they included men and elves and cavalry. It was a, it was a ton of people all coming to save the North Kingdom. Yeah, dude. Even though they were too late to like generally save the kingdom yeah, unfortunately, itself. Unfortunately, yeah, they did arrive a little too late to save the kingdom itself. They got to do some fun revenge killing, though, is what they got. Is what they oh, got. yeah. His forces just swept across the north until meeting Glorfindel's forces at Fornost. And the Witch King is utterly defeated, but he makes an appearance with him and his, some of his cronies. And this is... <laughs> This is hilarious. Yeah. And so one of the main things, this also brings us to our next point of things we like about Aranor, is his sometimes hilarious beef with the Witch King. (laughs) And it lasts for fucking years. Like, the Witch King literally just trolls this guy. Yeah. And he he goes for it. And this beef goes all the way back to the Battle of Fornas. So basically, after the battle, the Witch King personally comes forward, and he's like, oh yeah, you think you got me beat? Come on, Aranor, let's go, hand in hand. And uh, so Aranor, uh, being a hothead, actually is told totally down like 100 he's like me and you buddy let's do it he's, he's gonna throw down right yeah. now so he charges at the witch king but his horse fucking nopes out at the last second and is like nope not doing this and then he has to like rec- it takes him a long time to recover his horse and the witch king looks at this as a retreat and he laughs 
Yeah, he just fucking laughs at him. And you, could you imagine? And like we said in an earlier episode, Aaron Earl must have been a funny guy to make angry. Yeah. Could you imagine him just don't oh, fucking yeah. horse? Oh you can tell God. he's definitely a rager. And the Witch King is just laughing at him and taunting him after ah. he falls off his horse. Yeah. But eventually, Glorfindel comes up and chases off the Witch King. And Aranor, he wants to continue pursuing the Witch King. Oh, at this point, he's gotten control of his horse again, and he's like, let's yeah, go. Yeah, he's like, we're going to hunt this motherfucker down. We're going to go. But uh, Glorfindel stops him and stays his hand. And here's a Glorfindel quote. Do not pursue him. He will not return to this land. Far off yet is his doom, and not by the hand of man will he fall. Yep, so that's where the beef starts. And it actually goes on for fucking years. Yeah, so, this, yeah, this goes on for years. So years later, when Aranor becomes king, the Witch King and his buddies have recently taken Minas Morgul, and they post up there. And the Witch King sends a messenger to Aranor's coronation. Yeah, he... It, <laughs> So the Witch King straight up insults him at his coronation and reminds him of his disgrace in the north and when he fell off his horse. Yeah, you, you remember that? That was pretty funny, huh? And uh, Mar del Varonwe, steward of Gondor, persuaded him not yeah, to answer this blatant an- antagonization. Yeah, let it go, dog. Just let it go. Let it go. And he it says he's wrathful. Like, he's very yeah, he's mad. He's furious. He's fucking furious. But his friend gets him to let it go. But then seven years later, the Witch King sends another insulting message, challenging him again. And this time, Aranur answers the challenge. Yeah. And uh, Aranur, he, it's, it's, it's kind of an epic moment. He goes to the, the Houses of the Dead, and he places the crown on his father's tomb. And it stays there Ooh. until Faramir picks it up to give it to Aragorn. Oh, wow. Yeah, over a thousand years it sits there on the tomb. That's crazy. Yeah. And yeah, so in, in in the Third Age 2050, he and a small group of knights rode to Minas Morgul and passed through the gates and were never seen again. Yeah, apparently he lost that duel. Yeah, and he had no children, no wife. The last child was King of Gondor. Never heard of him again. And never heard of him again. And it's uh, it's widely known that, or in Gondor, it's believed that he was kept alive for many years and, and, and tormented, which is why the, um, the steward of Gondor mm. ruled in his name. For many years afterwards, they assumed he was still alive, but being tortured, probably. So, Hero? We we like to think so. Yeah, we, we, I we, think he gains <laughs> that status. Yeah, I think he gains that status. So we, he, we, we, we really like him. We, we like Aaron Ur. We love Aaron Ur. Unsung hero. Unsung no more. No more. Well, let's get into this next one. I've been excited about this one here. Ah, uh, yes. The next one. Lady Halleth. Yeah, the thing's the only lady on the list, huh? I think she is the only lady on the list. Yeah. Well, that's, uh, I mean, it's pretty common that's, in that's Tolkien for, the, for there to be few. My fault. I'm sexist, you guys. That's it. That's that's what it is. <laughs> and <laughs> So, Haleth lived um, from, Lady Haleth lived from First Age 341 to First Age 420, yo! Oh, 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 yeah, smoke it! So, for those who may not remember, briefly... Let's review who Lady Haleth is. She was one of the leaders of the group of a Dane called the Haladin during the First Age. She was the daughter of Haldad and twin sister to Haldar. And why do we like Lady Haleth? Well, she's one of the great girl bosses of the Silmarillion, let's be honest. For real. She's on the uh, short list of badass females in the, in the book. She's just on the short list of badasses. Honestly, let's be honest. And we'll, we'll get into it here why. In First Age, 375, the Haladin become the second group of Adain 
to cross over the Blue Mountains into Beleriand. And I believe uh, the first group is the people that become Hador, right? Because they, they post... I think you're right. Yeah, because they post up Hador way, the old. way in the west there. Yeah, so the Haladin, they set up encampment in Thargelion, which is uh, far northeastern Beleriand, just on the other side of the mountains. Technically in the realm of an elf known as Carinthir, one of the sons of Feanor. Those fucking assholes. Yeah, those fucking assholes. And the Haladin swore no oaths of loyalty to any of the elves, which a lot of the, 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 the other two groups of the Adain Have. do. Yeah, yeah and they, they, they so these folks, they just kind of move into this land and don't swear any loyalty or anything to anyone. They're just kind of there. Yeah, they, they call themselves free. So shortly after Haleth's brother and father are slain by orcs, she becomes the chieftain of the Haladin. And she once kept her entire tribe of people alive for seven days while their encampment was sieged by orcs. And Carinthir uh, eventually arrives and kills and drives off the rest of the orcs. At the end of those seven days, yeah. Yeah, after, I wonder how long he waited. Right. Yeah. Yeah, but ultimately, Carinthir was impressed by her bravery and offered her fiefdom in his realm. But she refused to swear an oath of allegiance and decided to move her people off to the forest of Bretho. And this is when Karen Thier says something along the lines of, you know, it might not be a good idea to go move off over towards Doriath if you haven't sworn allegiance to any of us elves or anything. They might think you're in league with the orcs, to which she has a sassy reply, and we've got an excerpt about that. Where are Haldad, my father, and Haldar, my brother? If the king of Doriath fears a friendship between Haleth and those who have devoured her kin, then the ways of the Eldar are strange to men. Yeah, she's like, of course I'm not yeah. going to take league with the orcs. If you think I'm any friend of people who fucking kill my family, yeah. <laughs> I don't know how strange elves are. Yeah, like, what the fuck are you talking about, dude? Come on. Yeah, and they were actually allowed to live, uh, I, this isn't an outline, but I, I, I found this out, they were allowed to live in the Forest of Breath Hill under uh, Finrod, actually. Okay. Um, gets uh, Thingol to let them live there. Oh, yeah, it's it's kind of by the intercession of Finrod Felagan. Yeah, because yeah. he's well, that friend of men, right? Yeah, and I think they just have the agreement is basically you can live there as long as you don't let orcs cross the bridge to the our side. The Taglin, yep, crossing the Taglin, yep. And when uh, Lady Haleth, she was uh, incredibly honored among her people. So when they, uh, when she died, they built a mound for her called Haud and Arwen. Um, and that means uh, Mound of the Noblewoman or Lady Barrow. Yeah, it's also known as the Tour Haretha, which is Manish for the Lady Barrow. But yeah, so she's just one of the badass leaders in the years of early men. Yeah. She stands she, her ground against the orcs like, and stands up against the elves. And the men of Brethil are free even until mm -hmm. the end of the first age. Like yeah. they, they never swear loyalty to any of the, the elven kings. Mm -hmm. Woohoo! Lady Haleth. Yeah. Unsung hero. Unsung no more. No more, no more. All right, who do we got now? This is another one from the Silmarillion. All right, this is the last one on our list, friends. Another Silmarillion throwback. Yeah. Who do we got here? We got Gwyndor. Gwyndor the Elf. So briefly for those who may not remember, Gwyndor is the son of Gwilin and is one of the is he's a prince of Nargothrond back in the first age. He's also the brother of Gelmir, and he fought in the Battle of Unnumbered Tears and was captured and enslaved in Angband. And somehow he escapes. He's the only yeah. he's the only character we know of that's ever mentioned to escape Angband, and mm -hmm. they don't say how. 
But luckily for him, just in time to make a new friend. <laughs> or maybe not so luckily maybe for him. Maybe not so lucky. <laughs> <laughs> Turin Turumbar is who he meets after he escapes Ang Band, which is probably the worst fate anyone could have. Right. And uh, he was uh, the one that brought Turin back to Nargothrond. Ooh, another bummer. So that eventually doomed the entire city and all of its inhabitants and all of his loved ones. <laughs> Very sad, but that's uh, largely Morgoth's fault. So why do we like Gwyndor? Yeah, why indeed? Well, he's an elf who loves his family, first off. His brother Gelmir is actually captured in the Battle of Sudden Flame, um, and he decides against the will of uh, of Finrod, or of Orodreth, excuse me, to take a group of um, elves to fight in uh, with Maedros, which they're not really cool with. Yeah, Orodreth, the king of Nargothrond at the time, wasn't really about joining into the big battles. He kind of wanted to stay secretive well, and stay away from yeah. all that. Especially because it was all Maedros' idea. Mm-hmm. So they, they wrote under the banner of Fingon, which everybody loves Fingon. Everyone so, loves Fingon. Yeah. Um, yeah, and uh, so he decided to take that small group of elves uh, to avenge uh, his brother. Yeah, because Gwyndor, he didn't want to sit this one out. Yeah, Gwyndor, he was unwilling to sit it out. And uh, Morgoth actually knew about this. And he brought Gelmir before the host of Nargothrond. As a prisoner. And he had been tortured for years and blinded. Yeah, and Morgoth's orcs execute him cruelly on the spot and hew his body into pieces, basically as a way to try to rile up the elves. And we have an excerpt about this. With them they brought Gelmir, son of Gulin, that lord of Nargothrond whom they had captured in the Dagor Bragalach, and they blinded him. Then the heralds of Angband showed him forth, crying, We have many more such at home, but you must make haste if you would find them, for we shall deal with them all when we return, even so. And they hewed off Gilmir's hands and feet, and his head last, within sight of the elves, and left him. Yeah, that's some fucked up shit, dude. Yeah, and that uh, basically, that enrages Gwyndor to the point where he... Oh, they charges can't prematurely. In that he charges, he charges prematurely and starts the battle. Yep. And uh, these elves almost make it. To, they make it to the fucking gates of Angband before mm-hmm. they're captured. Like they made it all the way through the main. Like house. they may have charged prematurely, but they were so enraged. They, were they so almost furious. fucking did it anyway. Yeah, and I think they're all killed except Gwyndor, if I remember right. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, their charge doesn't work, and uh, the elves of Nargothrond lose it. And after making it to the gates. They're all killed and he's captured. Yep. But, as we mentioned earlier, he escapes from Angband. He's the only person we know to have ever done so. Freaking escape, dude. And he's a great friend. Uh, one of the other things we like is he's a great friend to Turin, even though he fucking ruins his life. Yeah, even though Turin ruins Gwyndor's life, Gwyndor is still a good friend to him. Till the end. He does his best. Even though, yeah, even though Turin takes the love of Finduilas from Gwyndor... And he brings about the destruction of Nargothrond. And he even brings about Gwyndor's eventual death as well. Even all those things considered, he does not love, lose love for Turin, but he does regret ever meeting him. Yeah, that was a pretty harsh truth to drop on your friend at the last moment as he was dying. Then Gwyndor said to Turin, Let bearing pay for bearing. But ill fate was mine, and vain is thine, for my body is marred beyond healing. And I must leave Middle-earth. And though I love thee, son of Hurin, yet I rue the day that I took thee from the orcs. But for thy prowess and thy pride, still I would have love and life, and Nargothrond should yet stand a while. 
Now if thou love me, leave me. Haste thee to Nargothron and save Finduilas. And this last I say to thee, she alone stands between thee and thy doom. If thou fail her, it shall not fail to find thee. Farewell. Some dark last words. Yeah, dude, from one of your best friggin' friends. <laughs> Just like, I lo- I, that's one of my favorite lines in the Silmarillion. Though I love thee, I rue the day I took thee from the orcs. Because mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. he doesn't deny, he still loves him. Yeah, he's like, yeah, I still love you, bro, but like, you ruined my fucking life. Mm-hmm. And I want you to know that before I die, which is pretty rough. Gwyndor. Gwyndor. Unsung hero. Unsung no more. Yes, yes, yes. So what does it all mean, you guys? Turns out, in conclusion, there's a lot of unsung heroes in Tolkien. And uh, these are just a handful of our favorites, like we said. So why don't you hit us up uh, on Discord, email, whatever you want. Facebook. Facebook, Twitter. Twitter, all that shit. Let us know who some of your favorite unsung heroes are, and maybe we'll do another one of these episodes. Hell yeah. That's all we got for you today, guys. Thanks for listening to KOT Podcast. Yeah, thanks for coming back. We are so excited to be back. Don't forget to follow us on social media. You can follow us on Twitter, at KOT Podcast. Yes, yes, yes. If you want to follow me, I'm not too active anymore, but I'm going to try to be. I'm uh, at Danny J. That's J-A-Y-K-O-T. You can follow us on Facebook. That's facebook.com forward slash official keep on Tolkien and uh, also join the KOT talk group to ask some questions. If you're more of a Facebook person and you can discuss with us and other listeners. Yeah. Follow us on Instagram at keep on Tolkien podcast. Also, um, uh, the discord thing, join the discord server. Um, there's a couple tweets and posts about it that have the link to join. Yes, yeah, if you're looking to join the Discord, get on there, and if you need a link, definitely let us know. We, and we are on there all the freaking time. Yeah, like if Discord you, is where we spend our days. If you want to be friends with us, like on a, like on a <laughs> friendly fucking level, just get on our Discord. We, we interact with everybody on there. It's awesome. And, of course, don't forget to subscribe on however, wherever you get your podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, or iTunes. Just go to that website forward slash keep on Tolkien. Stay up to date with our newest episodes as we are now officially back on the air guys yeah yeah season five here we go yeah please rate us or give us a review and uh, of course thank you to all of those who have given to our patreon and we really want to send out a sincere thank you here because it is really (laughs) it's the only reason we're back baby it's one of the few reasons we're back uh we we don't have a huge following but during our off season we did have some loyal patreon members and it it did save us up a little bit of an egg yeah i mean we're not famous by any means and it's still yeah. coming out of our pockets ultimately in the end we're not profiting off anything but it's still it was a, an immense help to help us get going yeah. again this season so we really want to thank you our patreons yeah because like as always uh finances is their biggest barrier mm-hmm. um yeah uh content costs money so <laughs> um yeah patreon came through in a, yeah, in thank a big you. way thank, thank you, you so patrons much. and yeah if anyone who would like to uh join our patreon go to patreon.com forward slash kot podcast and you can get some uh, content on there as well, some bonus content. And if you're someone who is more into just one-time donations, that's absolutely okay as well. Yeah, if you want to do a one-time donation, just shoot us an email. We have uh, several ways to do it. We have like PayPal or, uh, you know, we can figure it out. We, uh, we don't know why we haven't said this before, but people have been hitting us up wanting to do one-time donations. So And that's absolutely okay. And that's absolutely fucking we, fantastic. We appreciate Anything that you guys are willing to give. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. But that's all we've got for you today, guys. 
I'm Danny J. And I'm Joel N. And together we are... Keep on talking. Oh, Ray and Tuluva.